0: Happy Halloween. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 31st, 2022. I'm
1: Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. We're going to observe Halloween later this hour with Christopher Ferris, the author of a spooky novel, The Fountain. He said it in a fictionalized version of Winslow, and we'll ask him about writing words designed to make us feel uncomfortable.
0: Saturday, we got an early jump on Halloween when KUAF served as one of the presenting sponsors of the Fayetteville Public Library's Be Aware Allergy-Friendly Halloween event. As we were handing out candy, we asked trick-or-treaters to record some Halloween sounds and greetings for us.
2: Hee 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 hee! ha ha
3: ha ha! Do I do it one more time? Really loud.
1: Some scary Halloween sounds provided by visitors to the KUAF Halloween table inside the Fayetteville Public Library at Saturday's Be Aware Allergy-Friendly Halloween event. And thanks to the library staff for inviting us to be part of that big day. We begin our show today
0: with another seasonal reality, the flu. As cold and flu season surges, health officials are urging everyone to get their seasonal flu vaccine, especially older adults. Ozarks at Largest Daniel Carruth spoke with Katrin Werner-Perez, Health Programs Manager for the Alliance for Aging Research about what people should know about this flu season.
4: All right. So can you tell me just a little bit uh, about this year's cold and flu season and how it maybe differs uh, from years past?
5: Yeah. So the last two cold and flu seasons have been pretty mild. And a lot of that is due to the precautions we were taking to protect ourselves from COVID-19. So we were staying home and we were washing our hands and wearing our masks. But now that we're getting back to a lot of our pre-pandemic routine, uh, we are seeing the data that the cold and flu and RSV are really going to hit the U.S. hard this fall and winter.
4: Yeah. And, you know, can you just sort of break down, you know, who is most at risk uh, for contracting cold and flu symptoms and who's the most vulnerable right now for that?
5: Yeah. So older adults are very vulnerable. As we get older, our immune systems naturally decline with age. But also those that are too young to get vaccinated, and those with chronic diseases or, you know, immune system issues, all those people are most at risk, and they're who we need to be protecting.
4: Yeah, and when we look at older adults, you know, what are some of the major risks that maybe people don't think about when it comes to uh, the flu?
5: Well, everybody's experience is different. But every year, you know, some people may have it mild, but it does send hundreds of thousands of people to And you don't want to be getting something else on top of it if you haven't gotten vaccinated for COVID and then just feeling, you know, double horrible with feeling the flu and COVID.
4: Right. And then, you know, for older adults, um, how how should they prepare to get the flu? You know, what shots or vaccines do they need to get? And are there any considerations that they should take um, around, you know, medications or other treatments that they might be taking?
5: Well, the most important thing is definitely getting your influenza vaccine or your flu vaccine. Uh, and there are plenty of other vaccines that adults, especially older adults, will need. And if they are worried about any complications or or interacting with medications you're taking, the best thing to do is talk to your health care provider. And you guys, you and your doctor know your health the best. So you can find you know what you should be taking, what maybe you're due for, and you'll be able to know Um, you know, if there's going to be any complications with medication.
4: Yeah. And for the the flu vaccine, you know, when is the best time to get that? You know, is there a a right timeline or, or maybe a point when it might be too late to get it?
5: No, not at all. Right now is the best time. But really just when you get your vaccine, vaccination, that's the best time, you know, as we're going into the holiday season, though, I do recommend if you've been thinking about it, if you're waiting for it, just get it now. We're going to be gathering. We, we want to protect all of our family. And this is the best time.
4: Yeah. And is there any sort of like uh, waiting period for after you get it when you should be like cautious around people, like a timeline after you've gotten that vaccine?
5: Um. There is no period. I would talk to your doctor again about what's best for you. Uh, a lot of that can have to do with if you're immunocompromised or if there's anything you need to be careful about. But as long as you're getting vaccinated, you're washing your hands, those are the best steps that you can take.
4: Yeah, And you did mention um, RSV earlier, which is another respiratory illness that we're we're seeing crop up this season. Can you sort of tell me just, you know, what RSV is? Uh, who's most vulnerable for it and and sort of what people can do to protect themselves from that?
5: Yeah, so RSV, as you said, we are seeing it. You know, it's inundating the hospitals right now. It's cancer respiratory syncytial virus. And it's thought of mainly the infecting little kids, but it is very common in adults. And it does kill at least 14,000 adults in the U.S. each year. Um, So, you know, it can be fatal. It can be just awful. Um, There's not a vaccine for it yet. Uh, There are a number in development, and we are expecting them soon. But that's why it's all the more important to take these other precautions. And there are tests for it. You can go to your doctor's office and get a test. uh, And that's why it's so important.
4: And then any other uh, recommendations or uh, information you think people should know on how to stay healthy and safe this flu and cold season?
5: Yeah, so I would say the CDC has new recommendations that adults over 65 should get an enhanced flu vaccine. So that's going to be a higher dose. It's going to boost the immune system response. So if you are over 65, make sure that you talk to your pharmacist or your doctor about getting that vaccine. Uh, And if you have any questions, we have a lot of resources on our website that can help you navigate what you may need. Uh, Our website is agingresearch.org. Our best shot. And you can find films and vaccine schedules and brochures to help you, you know, kind of figure your way.
0: That was Katrin Warner Perez with the Alliance for Aging Research speaking with Ozarks at Largest, Daniel Carruth. He produces his stories in the Karen Taha News Studio here at the Carver Center for Public Radio.
1: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm Matthew Moore. Matthew, you went out to an early voting location on Wednesday. I think it was to hear from people who were voting and people who were working the polls.
0: That's right, Kyle. I went to Bud Walton Arena on the University of Arkansas campus. The first person I spoke with was Barbara Verde. She was the supervisor of that polling location, and she says the reason for having a polling place there is twofold.
3: Number one, a lot of people aren't able to come into Bud Walton because they don't have a ticket. So they can sort of come in and get a sort of a look of of this nostalgia place because there's a lot of history here. The other thing is any time we have a lot of polling sites open that allows voters to go at their convenience up to the day of election to vote. And um, usually there's not a lot of waiting.
0: I don't know if you've ever tried to early vote at the county courthouse Kyle but the wait there is usually pretty long and where I was at Bald Walton it was in and out pretty quick.
1: I have been the first person in line to early vote at the Washington County courthouse but you got to get there early. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me about yeah. you. <laughs> um, uh, so one of the benefits of having a polling place on campus, I'm going to guess, is that you get students voting.
0: That's right. I spoke to Bailey Carnes. She's a senior at the university. And she said, walking from campus, it was a little confusing where to enter. I came in off of Razorback. And sure, there was a lot of. A lot of signage for people who were driving to the location. Uh, but walking from campus, it, it was a little confusing to enter. But she says once she got inside, it made sense. And she said she still feels pretty new to voting and has a lot to learn. Did you? you feel prepared enough to vote
6: i kind of just prepared before i got here i read up like about all the candidates and stuff but yeah i had to do it by
2: myself
0: here's your friendly reminder that you can get more prepared for what's on the
1: ballot this year by listening to our podcast natural election that's absolutely correct it's absolutely free um it's Here's an important part. It's not just students who can vote at Bud Walton Arena. It's
0: right. Anyone who is a Washington County voter can vote there. And uh, one person who I spoke to, her name is Adrienne Murphy. She teaches one day a week at the university, and she said this was very convenient for her. I
3: usually early vote, and I usually go to the courthouse. Um, but I went here today because it was convenient. Um, but it was super easy. Uh, sometimes at the university, parking's an issue, but I noticed that the parking lot was open for people coming to vote. It's a beautiful day. Easy walk.
1: Cool. Cool indeed. I love that. Uh, you also found and met a first-time voter.
0: That's right, yes. Nick Licky was also a student who said he's finally old enough to vote, and he said he thinks it's important for students on campus to have easy access to a polling place.
5: For a lot of people, they might live, you know, they might not have a car to get other places further around, so to be able to just go to class, like I'm in between classes right now, and I can just come and. Vote, and make an impact. So the fact that he gets
0: to in between classes, he's got, you know, half hour break, an hour break. He can just run down to Bud Walton, make a civic impact and go back to class. Doesn't have to have a car. That's right. I like
1: that. I like that. Uh, Did you get anything else while you were Bud Walton? Yes. The
0: last thing I want to play is uh, a quote from Barbara. Again, she's the supervisor of that polling place.
3: Every vote counts. As I learned last week most of us are concentrating on the federal level and the state level but really the really important elections are the local elections because those votes are decided sometimes by one or two or three votes and when you hesitate and choose not to vote maybe the candidate that you wanted in that office does not win so it's very important to think about all three levels of government when you cast your vote the other thing is Washington County is a very secure election site. So you don't have to worry about your vote not counting unless you don't follow the rules. And the rules are very explicit. And as poll workers, we we follow the rules and we want every vote to count.
1: From Barbara's lips to Jennifer Price and Janine Perry's ears right there, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Hey, thanks for going. Thanks for reporting. Thanks, Kyle. The Momentary in Bentonville presents the acclaimed Tigran-Hamasian Trio Friday, November 11th. Now on their North American tour, the trio brings an energetic and masterful marriage of jazz improvisation with each performance. Tickets and information at themomentary.org. Ahead on this Halloween edition of Ozarks at Large, a conversation with Chris Ferris. His novel, The Fountain, provides some Ozark-inspired frights.
7: I would say that it's a, it's a story about redemption, um, a story about addiction. It's a story about control and the, and the levels that people go to to, um, to control their environments. And I would say it's about what happens when that spins out of control. There's, there's a little bit of Ozark's magic in there, which I'm particularly proud of. I found a book by Vance Randolph. I think it was first published in 1947. It's called Ozark Magic and Folklore.
1: He talks with us in about twenty minutes on today's show.
0: Later this week, we'll have brand new episodes of Natural Election and Undisciplined, two podcasts we produce here at KUAF. Tomorrow we'll hear about tomorrow we'll hear about demographics and underrepresented voters in Arkansas on natural election. Ozarks at Largest Daniel Carruth spoke with Josh Price, who is the deputy director of Arkansas United.
8: I think for the communities that are um not being represented, they're missing a voice at the table. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a quorum court meeting or city board meeting, and I'm, I'm not only the only Asian in the room, sometimes I'm the only person of color in the room. And I'm
9: seeing you know, leaders making decisions that affect my community and other
6: communities of color, and there's literally no voice there to speak up on their behalf.
0: You can find past episodes of Undisciplined, Natural Election, Points of Departure, Resilient Black Women, The Lunch Hour, and much more by going to KUAF.com slash podcasts.
1: Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History is working in the archives, getting ready for a new November of Pryor Center profiles. We're closing this month with another archive. This session first aired on our show in the early spring. The Sound of Black Oak, Arkansas, Jim Dandy. Randy Dixon's with the David, Bar- David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. He's with me at the Carver Center for Public Radio.
8: Hello, Kyle. Hello, Randy. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this one.
1: Uh, this
8: is going to be fun.
1: Rock and roll from rural
10: Arkansas.
8: Oh, absolutely. I mean, classic southern rock. I grew up listening to it. Uh, and Black Oak, Arkansas actually from northeast Arkansas, town, Black Oak, in Arkansas. Yep. Uh Their front man, lead singer, outrageous guy, uh, Jim Dandy Mangrum. And uh, these were a group of guys that went to high school together. They went to Monette High School and decided they'd form a band. And... Uh, they needed some equipment, so they stole the PA system from the high school.
1: Yeah, and now the legend, at least that I've heard, is that it took someone seeing them actually play live to recognize the PA equipment. Like, it had been stolen from the high school, and then... Weeks and, or months later, they saw this band and, going, hey.
8: And I think they fled <laughs> to, to you know, hone their skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, word has that, that they would practice in an empty silo outside of town, grain silo. And uh, as a matter of fact, I believe they were convicted in absentia.
1: That's what I've always read. I don't. I've never seen a legal and document that said that. But no, I, but I've seen that in the bio.
8: Right. That uh, and that they were actually uh, sentenced to 26 years at Cummins prison, but that was suspended. Yeah. Uh, you know, after they made it big, and and they were big. They, uh, you know, Southern Rock was just coming. They were kind of ahead of the curve. Um, because they started playing together uh, in the early 60s uh, and then really kind of hit it in the late 60s, early 70s. Right. But they had, you know, the dual lead guitars and they were up there with the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinnerd. Marshall Tucker Band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were selling out arenas, headlining festivals. They were at a California jam festival that had 200,000 people there
1: toured with alice cooper and and some of the oh all the big names
8: yeah yeah Yeah. um so
1: we're talking about them because they're going to be playing live around here very soon
8: yes this friday they're going to be at uh, the auditorium in eureka springs they're opening for the ozark mountain daredevils
1: who kind of hail out of the springfield missouri area yes and and but that's kind of what we consider those around Daredevil
8: Hub. Right. Yeah. So they'll be opening for them. And I wanted to to run down uh, Jim Dandy. But first, before we go to that, um, you know, they were at their peak in the early to mid 70s. Heck, they even played the Royal Albert Hall in London. In London. Yeah. So, you know, they had arrived. They, they made it huge. So, um, Let's go to the KTV archives, and Frank Thomas went to the Black Oak area. Uh, they had a compound there that the whole band and their families lived.
1: Except by now, they're not in Black Oak. Now they're in Oakland.
8: That's right. Yes. It's outside of Black Oak. It's, no, 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 no. It's really? not?
1: Here's the only reason I know this. Okay. Oakland is right across from Bull Shoals Lake. From oh, that's right. This was huge news for us. Black Oak, Arkansas lit. They were practically our neighbors. Wow. Yeah.
8: Okay. Yeah. Well, KATV went up there and hung out, and this is a portion of Frank Thomas's news report.
11: Black Oak Arkansas to a generation of young Americans the phrase for energetic rock and roll and to the parents of those young Americans the symbol of rebellion and loud music the members of Black Oak still live in Arkansas near the community of Oakland on Bull Shoals Lake the band's members and their families live behind this high fence in a group of cabins that once served as a hunting lodge Black Oak has undergone some changes in the past few years there are now new faces but the energy behind the music is still this man jim mangram who was raised in the delta country of eastern arkansas black oak's early music of which there are 14 albums were categorized by critics as raunch and roll but in the newest album race with the devil the sound has mellowed somewhat and so has jim mangram who is proud of his musical heritage
6: and, and rock and roll was started and has meaning to me and started me in, in believing all these things because you know carl perkins and elvis said you can do anything you want to do just don't step on my blue suede shoes that was a statement of freedom it meant
8: something to me well um i found jim dandy he's moved back he lived in memphis for a long time uh, i had talked to him a few years ago about doing a prior center interview and then we sort of lost touch and i got back in touch with him he's living in black oak in his grandmother's old house um he's married. He just turned seventy-four, by the way. Let me throw that in there, but he has be an
1: important number to, to remember here in a couple of minutes.
8: Yes, two young kids, yeah. they're one and three, and he talks about them. But he, when I talk to him, he's out on the front porch, and you can kind of hear them in the background. But uh, well, let's hear from him talking about touring. Are you looking forward to playing in Arkansas? You're you're I'm doing your to
9: playing anywhere. <laughs> Nothing against Arkansas great? I'm here all the time Nobody really knows it I'm in, I'm in my mom and my grandma's house She's got a screened-in front porch And, and I'm up out here with my, my two youngest kids My three-year-old boy, Sean William And my little girl, she's one-year-old And mine, Sam's. these are our youngest right here these, We got more than that But <laughs> I mean, hell, my oldest is 34 That'll make you feel old <laughs> but uh, but this is uh this is my life, you know. I'm living this house here, and we uh we have a happy home. So is is music still fun for you? Playing music? Oh yeah, more than ever. It don't get you don't less fun, fun for you. you. <laughs> it don't get less fun <laughs> for you. Nothing gets less fun for you. You may not be able to last as long, but you you're better than you ever was. You know what I mean?
1: And you know now think about it. You, you mentioned that they started in the 60s, and he talks about um, Blue Suede Shoes. Jim Dandy's onstage presence was a direct line back to Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and, and those sorts of, um, wide, quote, wild men of rock and roll. Right. I mean, he was a showman first and foremost on Big stage, time. Just like Big time. Holy I Williams mean, d-
8: they were... Even after their their albums weren't selling as big as they were, their shows were still yeah. selling out. So they were a giant draw. And uh, he's imitated. Um, David Lee Roth from yes. Van Halen yes. even admits that he stole a bunch of uh, his on stage,
1: his mannerism and, and presence yeah.
8: and antics. And I asked Jim Dandy about that, and he said, "Hey." You know, I asked, do you, do you take any offense to that, or do you consider it, you know, a, a compliment? Right. And he said, hey, nothing's original. He said, I stole a bunch of stuff, and if people want to take things from me, for let it. them do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he was he, hes a real good sport about it. So— Uh, He's from Arkansas, they travel all over the world, but he always talked about his love of Arkansas and the Ozarks, so let's check back in with with Frank Thomas where he talks about being from Arkansas.
11: You might think a man who has made it as a rock musician might prefer to live where the lights are bright and the style of life fast, but Jim Mangrum says he has special
8: feelings for the state he
11: grew up in and chooses to stay.
6: I love Arkansas. I do. uh, It is a land of opportunity. It's uh, an antiquated state in a lot of ways, but that in a sense is its virtue. You know, I tell people in England and places like that, you've got to come in America for you. Don't just go to New York or L.A. and say that's America. Come in America. You know, come down and see me in the Ozarks.
1: All right, that is a 1978 report from the KATV archives at the Pryor Center, but your conversation with jim dandy was within the last few weeks
8: right and um this was right before his 74th birthday and so i wanted to know you know he's moved back to arkansas and i wanted to know about his feelings uh, about the state back in arkansas is
9: uh i don't know how to explain it but it's what made me what i am they may want to talk bad about me they want to talk good about me but Whatever I am, I'm as much created by them as I am anything. They blame myself, okay? Because, I mean, I'm happy with me, but I don't know if I can advise anybody. But, I mean, you know, my wife likes me babysit the kids, so I guess she trusts me a little.
1: <laughs>
9: <laughs>
1: That's Jim Dandy uh, from Black Oak, Arkansas, a band that has been together more or less since uh, they were
8: there there have been a lot of versions i mean a lot of players in and out um but it's always been you know the core uh of jim dandy right he's been the you know the heart of the band there there were a couple of years that i think black oak toured some without him but you know they've come out with an album fairly recently
2: yeah
8: yeah within the last few years yeah So, um, why don't we listen to the last part of Frank Thomas's report, and you actually hear about Mangrum's lack of education or his uh, desire to uh, educate children and his philanthropy. Jim Mangrum never finished high school. In fact, he was kicked out for taking the
11: school's public address system in order to make music. But he is a believer in education, and Black Oak played a big part in providing the children of the community with a new school. I got to
6: be honest with you, I have a child going there too, and I wanted the books to be better, I wanted the building to be better, you know. And I was just the kind of guy that wasn't going to stand with no further answer, you know. We had an angle. You know, all the other parents around here probably would have done it too if they'd had an angle.
8: During our conversation, I uh, found out they're working on a new album, and. Uh, it's supposed to come out later this year. There may actually be a Christmas song on it, but the rest, uh, he's going to tell us about it. Yeah, we're recording it
9: uh, as we're right now. Starting to put the icing on the cake. It's the best thing. That, but it's, uh, it's everybody questions me doing it, but uh, at the time, we were not playing a whole bunch. It took the deal because uh, we've never done a cover song album. We've done cover songs often, you know, you know, a lot of times one or two on a per album. But uh, we had a chance to do this and to do some songs that, uh, that uh, <laughs> it, people have been wanting me to do it for a while in, in a because all the way back to when we first
8: started.
1: So it's going to be cover songs?
8: All covers. Wow. And, you know, they were known in their live shows to do a couple of cover songs. This is going to be an entire album covers. And... You know, it's gonna, they, they're going to do some Bob Dylan, All Along the Watchtower. Oh, wow. They do Sympathy for the Devil, their version from the Rolling Stones. They do some Neil Young. And then, like I said, maybe even a Christmas tune. I, they're working on it.
1: I'm anxious to hear that.
8: Yeah. And so finally I asked him about, you know, his, his long-lasting love of music.
9: If I can do it, anybody can do it, and I love what I do. But you know, you've got to love it because it's a lot of work if you don't love it. Yeah, and uh, it's, but it's, it, you're getting to do and work at something you love. And if you get to do something you love, and make a living doing something you love, you've made it, buddy. I don't care if you're rich or not, but if you can make a living doing that, I can't tell you, you you've done it. You beat the system, you've <laughs> found <a> loophole. <laughs>
1: I, I agree with him. If you can figure out what you love to do, and you can do it for as long as he's done it, you have, you are ahead of the game.
8: Well, you know, you make it to seventy four and doing
1: what you love to do.
8: Absolutely, and on
1: the front porch with your kids.
8: Well, and he, and he has a wife that uh, he loves, and she's in the band.
10: So she'll I, be on stage. I think,
8: Beyond? yeah, yeah. I think she maybe took Ruby Starr's place. She was the singer that would sing, yes. you know, Jim Dandy. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, her name is Sammy B. Sofine.
1: Sammy B. Sofine.
8: Yes, right. and the the mother of uh, the two young children. And so, yeah, she'll be at the show. And I asked her about, you know, what, what fans would be able to see. And she said there's going to be some old stuff, old classics. There'll be some new material from their most recent album, which was in 2019, that's called underdog heroes uh and so they'll just be a great mix of stuff i'm going i'm i'm looking forward to it
1: they have to do they have to do the song that ends i think their album black oak arkansas when electricity came to arkansas oh yeah six and a half on the record it's a six and a half minute sort of instrumental jam and once you hear it It will not
8: leave you. Well, and I was telling him, um, and I'm going to have to play this one of these times. I have in the archives the last rural town in Arkansas, yes, to get electricity. And KTV was there when they flipped the switch, and they even gave the town a a television set so they could watch (laughs) Channel 7 in Ben-Hur.
1: And that's in Newton County, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to end this with? Well, you know,
8: like the songs that they did, uh, Electricity Came to Arkansas, They there were a lot of Arkansas theme songs, and I found this one, and it's not a, as they used to call their music, ranch and roll. Right. It, it's a nice, you know, they have a steel guitar in yeah. it, it's, it's kind of a nice ballad, and uh, it's called... The Hills of Arkansas. Can we close on that we'll one? close
1: on that. I'm with Randy Dixon, who is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History.
8: I'll see you next week after the show. There's a
1: girl that I recall In the hills
6: of Arkansas Her eyes
4: were green,
6: her eyes were brown She had the prettiest eyes around
0: you know, Kyle, I actually got
1: to see I know. Black Oak. <laughs> at the, you saw them at the Odd, right? I did. Yeah. I did see
0: that show. It was uh, it was an event to see. <laughs> <A certain laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> Wednesday night, we'll bring you a special edition of Ozarks at Large live from Star Theater in Walton Arts Center. The Reflections music series will present Pepe Rivero's The Four Seasons of Latin Jazz at 7. All the tickets for the show have been claimed, but you can listen live right here. Wednesday night at 7 on a special
1: live Music Hour of Ozarks at Large. That concert is part of a series of musical concerts and conversations that are all part of a series called Tertulia. Tonight, musicians from around the world and from right here will gather at the Roots HQ on the Fayetteville Square for a special jazz jam session with special guest Pepe Rivero. Jam session is a collaboration with the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society.
0: Tomorrow night, many of the musicians will present a concert in Gearhart Hall on the University of Arkansas campus. That show is also sold out.
1: And last night, it all got started with a reception right here at the Carver Center for Public Radio with the help from Moe's Tacos and Churros and Pink House Alchemy. You can learn more about all of the events associated with this year's Reflections Music Series at reflectionsmusic.org. And later this hour, we'll learn
0: just a bit more about the musicians who have traveled here for the week with the director and co-founder of the
1: series, The Uribe. As we close out a long Halloween weekend, we turn our attention to Christopher Ferris. His novel, The Fountain, fits right in with the season, and you can tell that from the cover. An isolated, crypt-like structure surrounded by skulls with a raven perched atop it. Inside, the words don't disappoint if you're looking for something to make you feel a bit uneasy. We invited Christopher Ferris to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk to us about his novel and his path to becoming a published author. He told us he became an avid reader at an early age and was attracted to those pulp paperbacks that have been providing chills, thrills, and horror for decades.
7: There's some attraction to the horror side. I mean, this is a horror novel. Some people call it a thriller. Um... And yes, it absolutely goes in there. Some of the other things that go in there, though, is is, is actually my love for Arkansas. I do – I have come to enjoy Arkansas very much. I, I've lived here for about seven years now. This is my second time. Uh, I used to live in Winslow, um, which is where th- with this novel mm-hmm. is based around. It's called Windsor in here, but it's based on a town that I used to live in, Winslow, and um, but also history. I mean, I I love history, and and really what kind of resonated with me was uh, the DeSoto connection to Arkansas. really fascinated me, and that got me thinking. And my little brother is a hugely creative type, and he and I used to discuss that a lot, a lot. And so all of that pulp I read, plus all of the history that I'm fascinated with, and the love of Arkansas, it all kind of came together.
1: How important is setting for a horror Novel. I mean, you think of Castle Rock with Stephen King or Robert Block would usually. Ray Bradbury yeah. had his, I think Greenville, um, and here Windsor.
7: Yeah. Why was that important to you? I, I think it's the strange, right, and it's uh, it's the stuff that's outside of the normal purview for a reader. You want to read. In any kind of pulp like that, I think, you want to read a, a setting that, that puts you a little bit outside of the norm of what you're used to. And then there's some there's some basic mechanics stuff, too. I also placed a novel in the 1980s. There's, there's a reason for that, too. Um, horror is really hard to write when everybody's got a cell phone, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, you find ways to get people disconnected from civilization, you find ways to get people disconnected from technology, you find reasonable ways to put them in danger where they don't have a policeman right around the corner. And then you you structure it that way. So it's very easy to do in a place like the the Ozark Mountains, the Boston Mountains. It's very difficult very easy. Harder when you get to a place like um, a major city. Not impossible. People do it all the time. But for me, it was a very, very nice setting. I liked it.
1: Well, there's the isolation, right? Yes, exactly. It's not just the strange, but it's the uh uh-oh.
7: Right, exactly, and and you do get that feeling. You know, uh, that kind of town is an interesting place. You can go a lot of your life living in a place like that and feel like you're fairly connected to a community until something happens, like a massive ice storm, and then you realize exactly how far away you are from everything that you need. So yeah, isolation plays a huge role.
1: When you're writing horror and and you want to get us to a place where we're uneasy or, right, correct, a little concerned. Do you have to get a bit uneasy in the writing, or am I over-romanticizing?
7: No, I don't think you're over-romanticizing. I do think you—I I won't speak for everyone. I'll speak for me. I do have to push myself into writing characters who will behave irrationally and in a way that I would not appreciate. I don't always like the things that I write down, but I realize that when—for myself, at least, when I'm reading a, a novel that's supposed to be frightening, it is that— outside of the norm that makes it frightening, right? Um, so yeah, I do get a little uneasy about some of the things that I write sometimes. Who, who reads it for you to make sure it is frightening? A, that's a good question. I've got a number of people who read for me, actually. Some of them begrudgingly. My wife is one of them. She, is, she reads for me constantly, and, and it's like when I show up with something to read, she groans first, and then she reads it, and she tells me her feedback. But I also have um, other writers that I work with uh, they read for me, my little brother greg is is hugely influential because he 's a lot like me he 's a pulp guy. he loves those kinds of things, and they they give me the feedback that I need. a lot of it 's structural on the writing side, but really, you can structure a book all day long, but if the story's not there, nothing else is going to carry and so that's that 's important to me i do I do depend upon those people
1: so. whenever I talk to someone about fiction that they've written. I don't want them to give too much away, but I want to give that little nugget to someone. So what would you tell the uninitiated about The Fountain?
7: I would say that it's a, it's a story about redemption, um, a story about addiction. It's a story about control and the, and the levels that people go to to, um, to control their environments. And I would say it's about what happens when that spins out of control. There's, there's a little bit of Ozark's magic in there, which I'm particularly proud of. I found a book by Vance Randolph. I think it was first published in 1947. It's called Ozark Magic and Folklore. And it had all of the stuff. He was a sociologist, traveled around and researched all that. So I picked some things out of there. There's real Ozarks magic in there, which I think is pretty clever. My mom was born in Arkansas. Really? And grew up part of her life here. So she had stories of Goomer doctors and witch masters and all of those that she told us a little bit about when we were kids. So that was an attraction. So that's in there. Um, and then there's, I would say that it's, it's one of those stories that, that builds slowly over time, and then, uh, and then things go wrong. So sh- I'll stop there. <laughs> you
1: have to have things go wrong, though.
7: You do. You must have things go wrong.
1: Do you like to be frightened?
7: I do. I do. Wow, that I, was
1: a that was a fast <laughs> answer. I, I'll
7: be honest. My wife and I watch tons and tons of horror movies. It is the number one thing that we watch, and not gore fest, but we watch a ton of horror movies. So I don't, I, and I don't know why. I wondered about that, and I have no defense for it either. <laughs> I don't we think you do have it. to defend it.
1: <laughs> do you have yeah. a certain era or genre or filmmaker?
7: No, nothing like that. Um, I, I, I'll just say that amongst the horror, like I said, we we're not a big fan of the slasher flicks, mm-hmm. but the but the paranormal and the heavy suspense and the psychological—those are the ones that we enjoy the most, right? I like—I'll give you an example. I will say Guillermo del Toro. I can't pronounce his name very well, but I love the stuff that he puts together. It's very, kind of—it's uh, very layered and very baroque. I love the—I love all the graphics and the imagery, and he just he, he manages to get you to suspend disbelief in, in the way that I was talking about earlier. He lays out so much visually that you just tend to go along with his vision i, I appreciate that
1: what's your uh, little brother think of the fountain
7: uh he loves it actually he was he was my primary support he helped me flesh out most of the ideas in it so he's uh he's a genius he thinks he thinks movie i think books but together we're actually able to do stuff
1: christopher ferris is the author of the fountain and he talked with me at the carver center for public radio last week Halloween is certainly a day for monsters,
0: but it's also about lighter stuff, like free candy. KUAF handed out several bags worth of candy Saturday morning as part of the Fayetteville Public Library's Halloween event. And we asked some of the trick-or-treaters to give us some Halloween greetings.
12: Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Halloween. Boo! Happy Halloween! Feliz Halloween! Happy Halloween.
1: Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Some of the many costume visitors to the KUAF Halloween table Saturday morning at the Fayetteville Public Library. Matthew, I end up with about 40 minutes. That sounds right. Of Halloween sounds <laughs> and greetings, so I'm not going to get them all on today. Yeah. But I'm going to keep them, and we'll have them for next year.
0: That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for coming out, and thank you so much to the Fayetteville Public Library for putting on this fantastic event.
1: The Eureka Springs 75th Annual Original Folk Festival takes place November 10th through the 12th. The weekend will include a three-day folk fair with free music, the Barefoot Ball, and three days of headliners at the Auditorium. More information and tickets at theaud.org. This is
0: Ozarks at Large. Tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday night, the 2022 edition of the Reflections Music Series presents Tertulia. A collection of concerts and conversations that bring Havana, Rio, Madrid, Israel, Fayetteville, New York, and Buenos
1: Aires together. Keeping with the ideals behind the founding of Reflections, this year's events celebrate how music can uplift, heal, teach, and foster creative justice. Last night, KUAF hosted a reception and gathering at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Tonight, a jazz jam session featuring visiting artists at Roots HQ on the Fayetteville Square. And tomorrow night, there's a concert in Gearhart Hall. Those tickets are all gone. And all the tickets for a Wednesday night concert featuring visiting artists, as well as U of A faculty and students, gone too. That concert will be in Star Theater at Walton Arts Center. Leah Rube, the host of Sound Perimeter every Thursday right
0: here on Ozarks at Large, is the co-founder and director of Reflections.
13: Our two main artists are coming from Madrid, Spain, and it is Cuban composer, arranger, and pianist, Pepe Rivero, and Colombian violinist, Rubén Darío Reina. They're, they're both established in Madrid and they have a beautiful career um, in their you know, platforms. Rubén is a classical player with one of the most important symphony orchestras in Spain. Um, And then uh, Pepe does a lot of jazz performing and playing and touring but also both together with a similar ideas that the one we're bringing the four seasons of Latin jazz have been very active all over uh, Europe, especially bringing this this very same show uh, around so they're coming from there and um, Pepe wrote the four seasons of Latin jazz. Uh, which is uh, a take, if you will, on Vivaldi's original four seasons in in the setting of, uh, you know, a violin soloist with a string orchestra. Um, But what he's going to tell us and and he shared with us is he imagined Antonio Vivaldi getting on a boat and, uh, you know, little trip here through New York and Havana, Cuba, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and Buenos Aires, Argentina, and uh, being embedded in a world that was completely different to his Italy, the 1700s. So uh, allowing the rhythms and the accents and the languages and the food and the weather and the atmosphere affect the way the Four Seasons were initially conceived. So that's what Pepe did, reimagine the Four Seasons. Um, I, I like to think about this as playing with an accent.
1: Along with the visiting artists Pepe and Ruben, Leah says this year's Reflections rounds out the jazz ensemble in the spirit of Reflections.
13: And the world of classical music and the world of jazz and the world of Latin jazz is pretty much Mm male-centered. So we wanted to challenge that, so we uh, did a a lot of research, asked for recommendations and we're bringing um, Ivana Cuesta, a drummer from Dominican Republic, uh, based in Boston, young, promising, super talented musician that uh, brings a lot of, uh, you know, uh, new voices, uh, you know, to the world of jazz and new identities. So we're super thrilled about Ivana joining. And then A.D. Mayerson, an Israeli uh, bass player based in New York. By the way, both of them have been really involved in conversations, especially through the Berkeley School of Music, um, about gender equity in jazz. So that was very appealing for us, not only to bring, again, their excellence in music, but also the conversation and the representation um, as uh, advocates and activists as well that they bring uh, with them.
1: The reimagined four seasons presented at the Wednesday night concert at Star Theater may not have any tickets left, But you can still hear the music live.
0: That's right. Wednesday night's concert will be broadcast live, a special edition of Ozarks at Large, beginning at 7 p.m. right here on KUAF. You can find out
1: more at reflectionsmusic.org. And Reflections is spelled R-E-F-L-E-X-I-O-N-S.
0: Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, Newbery Medal-winning author Susan Campbell Bartoletti writes fiction, poetry, and short stories. And she also writes nonfiction books for young readers about very serious topics like the rise of Nazism, the Irish famine, and the birth of the Klan.
3: I like looking at the lives of people who have lived through very difficult times. But I want to examine and explore their agency. You know, some survived, some did not survive, but where is the
1: agency? She'll be speaking this week at the Fayetteville Public Library as part of the True Lit Festival. We will talk with her tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. and on the free Ozarks at Large podcast.
10: From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Ark and Songs. Grace Brim of Biscoe became known as a vocalist, drummer, and harmonica player in the male-dominated field of blues music in the mid-20th century, billed as the Queen of Harmonica. She was born Grace Millard in Biscoe in southeastern Prairie County in July 1923 or 1924. Sources vary. The Arkansas met her life partner and longtime musical partner in Gary, Indiana in 1945, bluesman John Brim of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Grace and John Brim married in 1947 and gigged around Gary and beyond. They recorded with pianist Big Maceo Merriweather for Fortune Records of Detroit, Michigan in 1950 with Grace on vocals. The next year, Grace and John each had a release on Random Records of Chicago, Illinois.
2: Dragonway.
12: I beg my baby. Log just driver dragonway. Or she gonna keep on dragging till she drive me far away.
10: Grace and John Brim are heard here billed as John Brim in his trio from 1952 with pianist in the Slim. Grace Brim also recorded with her husband as John Brim and his Gary Kings, John Brim Trio and John Brim and his Stompers, named for John's song, The Gary Stomp. They recorded as the John Brim Trio for JOB Records of Chicago, which built Grace as Queen of the Harmonica. She also appeared as Mrs. John Brim, the Prairie County Native recorded with Snooky Pryor, Eddie Taylor, Jimmy Reed, and fellow Arkansawyer Roosevelt Sykes among others.
6: Damn sir baby need something to keep you cool. I now some times you a baby need something to keep you cool. Better look out now though. Dave's got something for you, tell what
10: it is. Based in Gary, Indiana, the Brims had 9 children. Grace increasingly left the spotlight to her husband John. The couple last appeared together on a single in the 1970s.
6: No know all my flavors are guarantee to satisfy Hold on a second baby. I gotta put my banana <laughs> Dixie cups All flavors and push-ups to i your ice cream man, baby Stop me when I'm passing by
10: Grace and John Brim got an unexpected boost in the late 1970s when John's song, Ice Cream Man appeared on Van Halen's album debut. The 1978 rock album has since sold millions of copies in the U.S. alone. Grace played on her husband's original version of the song. It was deemed too risque for release at the time. Grace Brim died in 1999 in
2: Gary, Indiana.
10: Here in its entirety is Arkansas Your Grace Brim of Bisco, born Grace Millard in Prairie County with Man Around My Door from 1952. Arkansas your Grace Brim of Biscoe in Prairie County with Man Around My Door from 1952. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is a production of Experiment Station
11: Studios.
0: Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansongs since 1998. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Radar Phantom Road. That's my spooky voice, Kyle. It's a
1: very good spooky voice. Thank you. I like
0: that. I, one day, I think I'm going to uh, pursue a career as a spooky uh, children's voiceover like, reader for audiobooks. What do you think?
1: Well, okay. <laughs> okay. You you do that. Okay, I will. KUAF is still a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Randy Dixon, and Leo Uribe. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Remember, trick-or-treaters tonight, please drive carefully. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm
0: Matthew Moore. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Until then, be well.